You're listening to Don't Waste Water. Whenever we had a shower, we had to shower with a bucket. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. It goes back to that uh, saying, if you always do what you've done, do you get a better result? And I think the answer within the water sector is no. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm happy to welcome James Reese as my guest. Because we are evolving so quickly, we can't rely upon traditional technology or traditional systems, we need to embrace the new technology we have because what that will do is allow us to be more adaptive to what we have to face in the future. James is Chief Impact Officer at Botanical Water Technologies and Board Advisor at Blue Loop, Drupal and Novaram. There is also a knowledge gap or an educational gap around private capital. I help innovative entrepreneurial companies position themselves strategically but also for capital and talk to various financial institutions, venture capital, private equity, family offices around the sector. Botanical Water Technologies strives to positively impact water scarcity by providing a new source of drinkable, sustainable, plant-based water for social and environmental projects. Let me bring you a bit behind the scenes to start with today. I've been recently invited to give my first ever TED talk, which will happen end of November in Shavesbury, UK. So now I'm binge watching the most successful ones to extract best practices. And the link to today's topic is twofold. First, one of the most watched TED Talks ever, and maybe my favorite one, is Simon Sinek's one advising all of us to start with why. Let's follow that advice. Why should we adopt new technologies in water? Well, because we're facing new challenges. Why does the rollout of these technologies take a while? Well, because water is a highly political and sensible field with low rewards and harsh punishments. And why does it matter so much that new technologies get to roll out faster, succeed and bloom? Well, because that's how they will maximize their impact. Now remember, I said the link was twofold. Here's the second one. Binge watching TED to identify patterns takes a while, but it's doable. But is there a similar directory of instructions as to how to succeed as an early or mid-market water technology company? Of course not. There are incredible pieces of ecosystems. Think of the accelerator programs like Imagine H2O or Elemental, which we addressed on that microphone. Think of the incubation or pilot programs like the Xylem Innovation Labs or Isle Utilities Trial Reservoir, which we addressed on that microphone. There are market data and analyst companies like Bluetech Research or Global Water Intelligence, which of course we addressed on that microphone. And of course, there are associations, conferences and brilliant podcasts outside of this one. And there is that very microphone I keep referring to. But who's connecting the dots? It's people and it's humans. You'll hear with James in a minute how we are just scratching the surface of the importance of connecting those dots and how one can actually do that. And if we start with why, the reason why we shall connect the dots is that it takes a village to solve today's water challenges. Many players still speak many different languages and someone needs to translate. So I'll leave the floor to James after reminding you that if you like what you hear, please share it around. Tell your friends, colleagues or LinkedIn network what you found interesting or inspirational. And if you don't like what you hear, please reach out to me and tell me what I should be doing differently or better. Come on, do it and I'll meet you on the other side. 
You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Let me start with a pretty open question, which has a lot to do with the title of the conference. What is it that we have to rethink in water? The water sector in general is evolving. Historically, it's been focused on big infrastructure and the thinking around that. With the evolution of technology, the fourth industrial revolution, IoT, digital twins, From my perspective, I think the evolution of water assets has to evolve into more a digital framework. So for me, I think it's more around embracing new technology and how we can actually apply that to traditional infrastructure. This morning, we heard from various people, both from the corporate side, private equity, and also the government on how we're going to spend money that has been allocated, how that money doesn't breach the gap that should be allocated and the amount of money that we'll need to spend to get systems working. I guess my question to those people is, should we do what we've done in the past or should we think a little laterally? And I think that frames the context of rethinking about water. So what's your answer to that question? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's many solutions, many answers, and it depends where you are. I mean, water is a, it's a, it's a global issue, but where we differ from other environmental issues like carbon, water is very regional. So I think you have to look region by region. Within the US, it's county by county, you know, understanding who the people are, understanding some of the issues that they have. So whether it's access, quality, contamination, aging infrastructure, decentralized versus centralized. So I think it's, it depends case by case. That may not answer your question, but I think it's a complicated topic. And that's probably why events like this are so important because we have the meeting of the minds, people from government, people from corporate. They may have opposing views. We may meet in the middle, but they're good ideas that need to be talked about. So what's your role in all of that? I just listened to the science guys and the CEO stood up and said, 10 years ago, I wasn't in water. That's probably me as well. So my background uh, is around management consulting and investment banking. During my investment banking days, I started focusing on green infrastructure. So I think it used to be called green, now it's called climate tech or climate infrastructure. That would have been 10 or 15 years ago. Hence by the accent, you, you, I was born in Australia. Australia is a very uh, water scarce uh, country. And I always remember when I was growing up, whenever we had a shower, we had to shower with a bucket to catch the water and use that bucket of water to then water the plants in the garden. So this is the upbringing that I've had. So when I was in investment banking and I started leaning towards green infrastructure, I was very intrigued with the water market. It was evolving, but particularly new technologies around water. So around 10 years ago, I started consulting by myself, created a firm and joined up with uh, other fairly innovative consultants and helping green tech or, or climate tech and water companies think strategically on how they can grow and also think strategically on how they can capture capital from private sources. I do get why new technologies are cool, don't get me wrong, but why do we need them? 
I think it goes back to that uh, saying, if you always do what you've done, do you get a better result? And I think the answer within the water sector is no. I remember 25 years ago when I started working, uh, some of my clients, particularly in the Asia Pacific region, we used to develop five-year forecasts for them. So they could ascertain and understand the externalities and understand the macro drivers to the extent that with a certain level of certainty, they would understand where they would be in four or five years. You think about the evolution of technology, Y2K, and even up to now, companies aren't focused on that five-year forecast, they can only really see 12 months into the future of that. And why? It's because the externalities are changing so quickly. So within the technology environment, you know, Moore's law, so the evolution of supercomputing, for example, climate, we used to talk about a thousand-year event, and now we're talking about a hundred-year event, and now we're just talking about the new normal. So I think with all that, because we are evolving so quickly, we can't rely upon traditional technology or traditional systems, we need to embrace the new technology we have because what that will do is allow us to be more adaptive to what we have to face in the future. And why would one of these young companies, new technology, having a solution to an existing proven problem out there in the water industry, why would they need you? Not why would they need me, but people Not like Not trying to push you in like a corner <laughs> at all. No, absolutely. Look, I think it's what they need is, is people like me, people like you. First of all, the people acknowledge there's a problem and the people who are thinking differently around providing an alternative solution to those problems. You know, one of the topics at this event was the knowledge gap or the talent gap that we have within the water sector is significant. So 10 years ago, it used to be people in coveralls with a wrench, you know, I'm simplifying it, but you know, turning the machinery. A lot of those people have retired. A lot of those people have moved away from the sector and we're struggling to attract new talent. And I think the way that we can do that is actually embracing new technology that's coming through. So we need advocates, people like me, people like you, venture capital, even government. We heard from the EPA and FEMA today saying, yeah, we need people coming out of university. We need new talent with new ideas to help solve this. So I think it's just not me. It's people like me, people like you, helping out a big issue in a big sector. So you have newcomers, I mean, new ideas, new technologies, and they might need to to translate to the outer world so that they get adopted faster. Do I translate that about right? Yes, and look, I think one observation I would make is that there is also a knowledge gap or an educational gap around private capital okay. uh, in, in the market, around water itself and also technology or new ideas pertaining to water. Part of my role, I help innovative entrepreneurial companies position themselves strategically but also for capital and talk to various financial institutions, venture capital, private equity, family offices around the sector. And generally some of those first meetings that you have, it's more around, well, what are the issues in water? You know, what are we really facing and what what do we need to do about it? So I think that there needs to be a focus on people who are already in the sector. So very specialized water technology companies or or uh, investment firms educating their peers and educating their cohorts. So science is doing a, a, an amazing job here. We just heard it took them eight years of intellectual capital to get to the, the point where they validated their thematic. They probably have a, a slight onus on themselves to bring along everyone else along the ride as well. So talking to the pension funds, talking to other uh, financial 
investors around water so we can all participate. I'm a total mogul so to support on me if I'm approximative. But if I'm right, there's about 35% of the world's finance, which is about ESG. So I would expect that ESG money to be looking for the suitable projects. But when I'm discussing with investors or with people trying to put together a portfolio, what they tell me is that it's hard for that money to find the right targets. So it sounds like a double-sided pain. On one end, you have project holders, which struggle to find the right financing to support their projects. Yeah. And on the other hand, you have that money, which is looking to finance the right projects, but doesn't really understand those. So again, if I get it right, you're bridging those two words and you're trying to bridge that gap. Consultants within the sector, you know, part of their role is to educate the holders of capital and the seekers of capital. and and try and match those together. So it's really a two-sided market. You have two, to educate on bond. Two, yeah. two, two sides. So bring two sides closer together in the middle. I think that the holders of capital, the private equity, venture capital, government even, if they have a strategy of allocating capital for ESG, they're considering what they define as ESG. They're a little risk averse because they want to make sure that it truly is ESG. And we've seen in the press around greenwashing, etc. We've also seen the SEC coming out and saying that any environmental disclosures will have the same burden of proof similar to financials. So if we think about Sarbanes-Oxley and the reputational risk and the personal risk that CFOs, CEOs have had, that's where we're heading with ESG. So I think that also slows down the allocation of capital. And then you have a look on the other side, the companies positioning themselves around ESG, very focused on what they're doing in the business. They also now have to wear another hat about attracting capital and now have to wear another hat about articulating what they're actually doing. What's the SDG benefit or what's the impact benefit that that firm's having? So it's quite complex. And I think that takes a period of time to evolve both of the propositions so those players can meet in the middle. Talking about that period of time, that leads me to my crystal ball question. If you're looking into a, let's say, five or ten years future, what will tell you that we've been rethinking water the right way? That's a fantastic question. Once again, I think it's certainly regional. Within the US, I think the big statistic that scares me is the number of people that don't have access to clean drinking water. We've heard today that some of those issues that have created that have been political. Politicians are doing an amazing job, but you know, politicians are similar to CEOs. They're only appointed for a short period of time. So with that in mind, do they make the investment appropriately to get the return, particularly if it's in a pipe that no one can see? I think something around that has to change. Around fines and persecutions, we don't want industry to slow down and we don't want the industry to be scared of making a front step forward. But we need to penalise those that are doing it in a reckless manner. So a reckless manner is not thinking about the community or the people that they serve. I'm fairly passionate about ensuring that every person has access to water. I think it's a our human right. New York came out, I think, a year or two ago and said water is a human right. California has followed suit. The UN certainly has embraced that as well. What we want to see is more people having access to clean drinking water, not only here, but also in other regions as well. I have to, to be cautious every time at some point. To round off these interviews, I have a, just a series of short 
rapid fire questions so i'll have two for you my first would be what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why can i talk about two projects yeah sure <laughs> let me talk about two projects the first is with a company called botanical water technologies an australian-based business that has been around for six or seven years they have patented technology to harvest water from fruit and vegetable processes, filter that water to create potable grade water. Now the benefit there is that the company itself uses a platform to identify processes in high water scarce areas. Mm -hmm. So if we take a tomato processor, a tomato similar to all fruit and vegetables is 90% water. If Heinz says, Mr. Tomato Processor, I need some tomato ketchup, they condensate all the tomatoes and that water is discharged. Now, some uh, processors will do that in an environmentally friendly way, other processors won't. So this company captures that evaporative condensate and filters it. Now, the benefit is that one unit can harvest 20,000 liters an hour, so nearly half a million liters a day, that's 160,000, I think, gallons. So the abundance of water that is naturally within the processing can be used for replenishment. So you can actually use it for aquifer or groundwater reinjection. It can be used as a sustainable source of water. So instead of taking water from an aquifer, you can actually use it as a circular drinking beverage. And the third thing, getting back to where we want to see the world in five years, is you can actually allocate that water to disadvantaged communities who don't actually have access to water. So in a Flint scenario, instead of using bottled water, you could actually haul sustainable, fresh drinking water in tanks and provide it to the community. So look, I'm really excited about that. That's number one. I'm going to take some more of your time and talk about number two. I'm also working with another company called Drupal is digitizing the last mile of delivery of water. So a lot of the conversation that we're having right now is focused on municipal infrastructure. So municipal to building, to residential tower, to airport, to shopping mall. But water, it's an invisible risk. And as soon as it hits the infrastructure, we don't really know what's happening to that water. The pipe or the integrity from municipal to infrastructure could be fantastic. But if the pipes within a three or four storey building aren't, well then we've got water leakage, we're wasting energy to heat the water for boiling water, we're sending people out to maintain those systems that probably don't need to go there. So what that company has done over a number of years is created uh, sensor agnostic technology that can capture data from all the data assets They've got some fantastic algorithms in the back end and generate predictive advice to asset owners about managing their water assets more appropriately. And the reason why they're doing that, it reduces leakages by 20%, reduces carbon by 20%, and reduces OPEX by 20%. So two very cool companies doing some amazing things in the water sector. Well, regarding Drupal, for the ones which are regular listeners from that podcast, they can go back to season three, I think, where I had an interview with Ramsey Buzada, oh, the CEO fantastic. and founder. Yeah. So uh, that way you have the full story. Last question. What is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? You probably guessed by our conversation that uh, I'm really heavy <laughs> I have <a> technology. Hint. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I'm more around technology is I think it's the enabler of change. 
So if you think about space, so there's a corporate and also governors now focusing on space and how do we evolve the space race? And that's all around technology. So how do we put people on Mars and how do we sustain life? One of the things they're grasping with is around water. Like how do we actually generate, recycle, reuse water when we're off the planet, right? Those ideas will come back to us, similar to GPS did in the future. So for me, I think it's all around technology going forward. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot for appreciate the it. insights and I'll let you have a good rest of the conference. Thank you for talking thanks. to you. Appreciate it. But this is it for another episode of the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'd like to hand out a special thanks to Science Water for enabling it. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to give it a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I don't know if I deserve five stars, but my guest surely does. Do it now, tell it to your friends, and I'll be back very soon with the next interview.